welcome back to our Brooklyn Bites. This is episode 143. I am Stephanie. I'm Leon. How has your week been? Getting things done? I'd say so. That's how it usually goes. Excellent. Good. When you say getting things done, do you mean in real life or in gaming circles? It could be anything in your life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Luckily, it's been both, so... That's important, I suppose. Mm-hmm. For me, I did play a couple of games because we were away last week, so I had some extra time. Yeah. Uh, so there was this big Apple release of a new operating system, mm-hmm. and they call it iOS 11. I updated my phone, let me say that. And <laughs> the reason why I haven't updated my iPad yet is because this update is a pure 64-bit operating system. Yes. So what it means for the iOS platform is there's a lot of older apps that are only 32-bit based. Mm -hmm. So those won't work any longer on the new operating system. Yeah, we've been dreading this for some time. Apple's been warning developers for like three years now Mm -hmm. to like, hey, guys, update your apps because we're going to be going 64-bit. Right. And developers either said, hey, I made no money on this project Mm -hmm. and I'm not updating. Or the developer just said, I got to drop somewhere else now. Or, um, you know, we're not even in business anymore. Sure. That's another thing. In the beginning, there was a lot of indie developers who jumped on the bandwagon because, you know, iOS was a place to make quick money fast. Mm -hmm. And it turns out to be not so true, as a lot of people thought. So, you know, a lot of these games are going away. And uh, some of them from, you know, reputable companies like Activision Anthology is not playable any longer. Mm-hmm. Midway Classics, almost the entire Atari lineup, except for their classic 2600 games, those still work. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of shocking when you, it's not just like some uh, Joe Schmo in Hungary who made like a game on a weekend or something. Although those guys are affected too. Yeah. And so, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, Electronic Arts Library, like these are all uh-huh. big games that are gone. <clears throat> yeah, because I mean, when I first got my iPad back in 2010, some of those major companies were the first ones to jump in with mm-hmm. a big representation, like at least from EA, from Electronic Arts. I know I had Dead Space, SimCity, right. um, Scrabble, Mirror's Edge, a whole bunch of different games. They were pretty quick to jump on the iOS platform and get some games out, especially from their recognizable properties. Yeah. Even Command and Conquer. I mean, I have a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And I haven't checked on them in a long time. I don't know how many of them are getting updates or if any at all. I would say zero. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not a good sign for you, but... Yeah. Because there's a lot that I haven't played. The frequency of how many games come out every week is very hard to catch up. And there's some that I buy them on sales, you know, when they're a dollar or free. Sure. And I'm like, all right, I'll get to it someday, you know. And now I have like 500, 600 games sitting in a queue that, Mm -hmm. you know, who knows if that day will ever come where I'll play them. Right. So I'm holding off updating my iPad because I want to have the ability to go back and play these. Yeah, you don't want to cut off support for these games. Yeah. So I started going back and looking at some of these older ones. And the problem is it doesn't tell you which ones, unless you actually go in and open up the app on the device... It doesn't tell you like which ones are 32-bit and which ones are 64-bit. Mm. There were some that I was going through, and you know I didn't really go through everything, but there was a couple you know that I was checking out. Basically, I was bouncing around a lot. I must have played probably like 30 games in the past <laughs> two weeks. Uh-huh. So, and I didn't really play full playthroughs on all of them. 
I'll talk about two that are not necessarily older games. These are fairly new, or at least playable on a 64-bit platform. And I think these were okay. This one is called Cubic, Mm -hmm. and it's spelled K-U-B-I-C. Sort of like Stanley Kubrick, maybe, but (laughs) Kubik instead. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Um, It's from uh, a developer called Absolute Games. And this one came out last year. It's on iOS, Android, Amazon, and it was about two bucks. So what drew my attention to this one, it's a puzzle game, for one. And, you know, I like my puzzle games, especially on, I feel like, tablet or phone is, like, the best way to play puzzle games. It's really good for a touch But this one deals with optical illusions, and it also deals with these set of blocks. When I was little, I had this set of blocks, and I don't know if you had anything like this, or maybe other people did, but it was a set that came with maybe like six or eight blocks, and each one was a different shape. So there was one that was like an L shape, like almost like Tetris pieces. Mm -hmm. One um, was just like a right angle, one was a Z shape. And another one was like a three-dimensional, like an up, left, right, kind of like a zigzag shape. So anyway, with with these six blocks, you can make a cube. You can assemble them to make a cube. I think I can picture it. When you bought it, it was packaged in um, a cube shape. Uh And then when you take apart the cube, you're like, oh, it's like eight blocks that are like weird, or six blocks that are weird shapes. Sure. Not so much fun in itself. You could figure out how to make the cube pretty quickly. But it came with a 50-page booklet. And in the booklet, it has exercises on like, it gives you like a picture of a shape and it says, okay, now make this shape with the pieces you're given, these mm-hmm. you know, six pieces. Right. And then as you flip through the booklet, it shows like more advanced pictures, like more advanced shapes, like a snake and a duck and all these like creatures, like all hand drawn too, uh-huh. like in the shape of these cubes. And you have to try to figure out, well, how do I take these six shapes and make this really like complicated creature that they're showing in the picture? Uh-huh. And I was never really that good at it. I remember like being fascinated by this idea of doing this. And I was pretty terrible. I don't think I ever made more than like the novice section. That was like the best I ever did. Okay. So is it always just like simple animals and then it goes to more advanced things? Yeah. And then maybe there was like a letter and I still have it actually, the toy. It's it's in my (laughs) Uh toy box somewhere. But uh, it's, you know, it's a fairly old thing, but maybe they still make modern versions of this. I always found it really fun. I like logic and mathematics and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. I used to play with it all the time. This game starts out almost just like that. So you have you have a picture of, of a, a shape. I think it might even start out as the cube. And then you have these like six blocks that it gives you. And you have to drag the blocks, overlap them and stuff, and build the cube. Right? And then next stage. And then they give you another shape. Mm-hmm. And then another shape. And then eventually... These like really simplistic shapes that you can kind of eyeball it and say like, okay, I can slide this one here and this one. It sort of makes sense. It gets really difficult really fast. Is there a time limit? No, you have no time limit. Mm. What's different from this game from the like the old physical game that I used to have is that the shapes are different depending on the stage you're on. So like whereas the old one you always had the same shapes, this one is the shapes will change depending on the puzzle, mm-hmm. which makes it a little bit more difficult. And also, there's about 70 stages, and there's, I think, six levels. So the stages are broken up into levels. So after you get past that, like, that initial, like, simple, easy group, and, like, I would say probably actually the first three levels are sort of not so bad. Like, you can kind of figure it out, you know, with, like, layering pieces and stuff. After that, then it starts changing now. So, like, it's no longer 
yes, you have to recreate the image, but then they start getting into like MC Escher kind of style puzzles, optical illusion stuff. And then those are kind of, to me, a lot harder to figure out in your head, like how something should look because you're trying to overlay shapes of blocks and, and the, they're not always like simple shapes, you know, they're, they're complicated and they, they fit together in weird ways. Mm-hmm. So like after the initial like 20 or, or so, so levels, the game got really difficult, like really, really difficult. I guess they want to really take advantage of the idea that, okay, we're not just recreating the physical toy. We want to do things that might not be possible in the real world, such as giving you different pieces every round and yeah. making impossible shapes that you wouldn't be able to build. Yeah, that's probably the intent. Uh-huh. And I wasn't a big fan of that. Like, I sort of was getting frustrated because, you know, I was staring at this puzzle for 30 minutes and the puzzle they give you, like the image, you can't like zoom in on it. You can't rotate it. You mm-hmm. can't do it. It's just a static 2D image. So they just give you the final result and then you got to figure a out. A 2D version of a 3D final result. Mm-hmm. And then you have to drag your pieces yeah. on the screen to try to build it. Now, when you drag your pieces, you can't rotate anything. You can't zoom in on your pieces. And when you're overlapping pieces, it gets kind of tricky because it works in layers. The more complex puzzles, you're layering like four or five pieces and sometimes it's hard to say, well, I just layered like these three. But when you layer it, now you can't tell anymore. It just looks like one solid shape. Mm-hmm. So if you build a puzzle and you're like, oh, all right, well, now this last piece I have doesn't fit and it doesn't make the shape. So I have to pull everything apart. <laughs> but you don't know like, well, which one, like, how do I go back two steps, you know, and then kind of redo things. Just, you can't. There's no undo. There's no undo. So it got a little frustrating having to pull everything apart or sometimes when they're getting layered, the wrong pieces come to the top and you Mm -hmm. want like, well, I want this piece to go behind the layer of blocks and there's really no fine control over things. So I wasn't too thrilled about some of the controls and the way, like some of the ways the things were implemented. I personally, I don't think I solved like any of the puzzles from like 30 on Mm -hmm. without using hints. So there's a hint system built in there and they give you 10 free hints and the hints are kind of weird because all you have to do is like tap the hint button and the piece will just get thrown into the board. <laughs> and presumably that's the first piece that you have to place. Mm-hmm. But which weird is that if you move that piece, then you kind of screwed yourself up at that point. So these are designed in a way that you have to do them in the right order too. It's not just a matter of identifying yeah. all the right pieces and what position they're in. Uh huh. You have to like build it a certain way. Yeah, right. Well, you can't rotate any of the pieces. So you think it would be easy because like, well, it's only, mm-hmm. it, they do give you more shapes later on. So you have like 12 pieces to work with sometimes. And you don't have to worry about like rotating and in like an axis or anything like that. It's just like sliding them around the screen. Mm-hmm. But um, with the hints is weird because every hint is one move. And if you do like, well, I'm going to use three hints and it places three pieces. And now like you want to try to finish it yourself. If you make a mistake and you want to go back, then you lose those hints because now you're going to move all those pieces around. Okay. But it already told you how to use those pieces. Yeah, but it's hard to remember because, like, it'll give you all the shapes almost look the same, like, later on. It starts Mm -hmm. getting very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I found myself just really almost having, using all the hints until I'm left with, like, one piece and then figuring out what that last, and sometimes (laughs) even that last piece is very tricky Mm -hmm. because it may not be... It could be a layered thing where it's supposed to go behind like two pieces and it creates like an illusion of a third piece. So it gets pretty complicated and I got to commend them and 
coming up with these concepts of how like these shapes overlap and stuff. Cause I'm not even sure. Even like sometimes I finish these puzzles or watching them being finished and I can't imagine how they came up with these ideas of breaking up the shapes like that to build, you know, this complicated shape. I think it's impossible really to solve any of these later puzzles without cheating because it no longer becomes a 3d image because now you can't think spatially. You have to look at, it's a two dimensional image using 3d pieces, but you're making a 2d image out of the 3d pieces. So you can't Mm -hmm. say like, well, this piece is three pieces wide and two pieces deep, but you can't think that way when you're making the puzzles and, and it just doesn't work that way. And it gets really complicated so I ended up using mostly all hints on the later levels to get through it because I just couldn't figure them out. You can buy more hints if you run out of your first 10, but they give you an option to watch an ad and they give you like 10 freebies for every ad you watch. So mm-hmm. I just kept doing that. The ad's like, well, 10 seconds, you know, it's no big deal, 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. So I had no problem with that. I mean, it's fairly short, 69 levels, not a big deal. I liked the first half of it. The second half, it got too difficult where it wasn't even like fun anymore. It was too extreme. Yeah, but it almost felt like the same situation I had when I was, you know, five years old and playing with these blocks. It was It's the same thing. Like, uh-huh. I remember doing the easy puzzles, like, kind of, you know, I figured them out. But then, like, that last half of the book, I just had no idea how to do them. It just didn't seem possible, given the, the pieces they gave you. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of funny how things haven't changed much. Maybe it's me. I don't know. But I, I think if you like those type of puzzles, maybe it's worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Especially if you can get the game on a sale or something. But I think it's like $1.99. Okay. And uh, this is another one, another good puzzle game I played. And this one you might have heard of. It's called Year Walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is a little bit older. It's from 2013. It's from a company named Samogo. Actually, they have a lot of really good games on the App Store. But this one in particular is available on iOS, Steam, it's on Wii U also. So there's also console ways of playing this if you don't want to play it on a tablet, but I think it plays great on a phone or a tablet. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this one is uh, a little bit different in the way it plays compared to Cubic. This is a story puzzle game about time travel. There's two portions to this game. There's a companion app to go along with this. This one, at least on iOS, and, and... on the PC one, it works a little bit different. But on iOS, you have the main game. And then there's a second app, which is like an encyclopedia, a book that you read. You have to use it in order to get the true ending to the game. But I initially didn't use it when I first played through the game. I didn't think it was necessary, but it definitely would help with some of the puzzles, but you don't need it. It's kind of cool just to have it. On the PC version, it's built into the game. I think it's like an icon in the corner that you click on and it opens up the encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. The game is a couple of bucks, but the companion app is free. That's one aspect. And then you have the main game itself. And this is one of those puzzle games where you have to really think outside the box when you play this. Because you're thrown into the game. There's no like press start or anything like that. You just start out. There's really very little background info. There's not really much of a story going on. You're in this forest, and uh, there's like snow everywhere. There's a cabin in front of you. Uh, the graphics are like this paper cutout sort of look, mm-hmm. like layered paper shapes, sort of like a um, muted kind of dark look to it. All 2D. It's not like a 3D movement or anything. They don't tell you how to play it, so I, you know, you figure out immediately what to do. You could swipe left or right to move across the screen, 
And then uh, there are parts where you'll see arrows pointing up or down. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, then you can kind of swipe up or down to move inside or outside the screen, you know, to like move into the foreground kind of. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how you navigate along this little world you're in. As you're kind of exploring, because you don't really know, like, well, where am I? What do I do? Do you interact with things? Do you tap on things? You don't really know. You can interact with some things, not everything. If you've played puzzle games before, you'll realize, well, I need to, like, solve some of these mysteries of, like, these objects that make no sense, right? You got to figure, there's got to be a reason why this thing is here. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to give away anything on, like, these puzzles, but... Eventually, I think you'll put the pieces together and figure out like what's going on. And <laughs> some of them are pretty complicated. You uh-huh. have to. That's why I said it's not. This isn't one of those like locked in a room type of puzzle games that are common, where you just kind of like tap on the screen. Eventually, you'll solve the puzzle. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of think a little bit differently on some of these to solve them. But uh, I had a lot of fun with it. I think if you're more of the creative type, you'll probably breeze through this. I didn't really get stuck on anything. I don't remember having trouble. There was a couple of spots where I had to like think about it, what I was doing. But I think most people will okay. probably fly through it. You don't have to worry about dying or anything. There's no health bar. You know, you can take your time, explore, mm-hmm. no rush or anything like that. There is an, a storyline that does pop up as you play. Um, when you get to the end of the game... It gives you an opportunity to play through it again. And when you play through it again, that's when you get the true ending. So I would definitely say when it does ask you, do you want to play again? Say yes. And then it'll make sense when you do it. But um, the game is basically the same, but there is something a little bit different that the companion app definitely comes in handy at that point, And that kind of reveals the true story of this game. So it's called Year Walk because, and this isn't really giving away too much, but your character is kind of like a time traveler. The idea of time traveling is called walking. This whole story sort of reminded me of, if you ever saw Donnie Darko, mm-hmm. where you're trapped in that time loop sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, very kind of like similar concepts to that, especially for a really old early on game on the iOS platform. It does some interesting things, but simple graphics, nothing special. I liked it a lot. I think it's one of the, probably top 10 puzzle games on the platform. It's really, really good. But the downside to all this goodness is that it is super short. So I was saying like, if you know what you're doing, you could probably get through this game in like 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. maybe even less. If you don't know what you're doing, you're doing a lot of backtracking and exploring and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what doesn't work, like a lot of trial and error stuff. But when you know what you're doing, then it's like, you know exactly where to go, what to do. And you know, 20 minutes, you could probably go through the whole game and, that's it, done. Is that what happens the second time you go through it? Like when it asks you to play again? Uh, it's even shorter. Okay. Yeah, the second time is really not even... You could play through the whole thing again, but you don't have to. Because now you you know a little bit more what to do. Okay, but that and, seems and it like... Gives you, it gives you something else that you didn't have the first time through. And that's how you, you mm-hmm. get the true ending. All right, but that seems to be the way you experience the game. You see how it is the first time through. And then, you know, obviously once you know it, then you know Yeah, because there's you'll find something through the first time through that you don't know what to do with. And then you'll, you'll beat the game and you'll be like, oh, that thing never came into play that was there. Mm-hmm. And that's when you go through it again. And now it's like, oh, now I have the ability. Now I know what I had to do with this thing. Mm-hmm. And then that's how you get the true ending. So it took me about an hour and a half, I think, to play through this one. Okay. Yeah. But I think it's a quality game. It's a little bit pricey, I think. It's like 
four to six dollars maybe i think a little bit more on the consoles probably wait for a sale maybe mm-hmm. and then give it a try if you like that type of stuff but don't look at any youtube videos because you're gonna spoil it uh-huh even if you're curious though well, what is this game about like if you look they know it'll just ruin the experience and i don't really want to give more info than that <laughs> but if you've played like the trapped in a room games it is similar to that a lot of those are done by just tapping randomly until you like find or, or like moving combinations of things around. Mm-hmm. And this is a little bit di- similar, but a little bit different. Mm. Quality game. I know I've heard of it before. I just never got a chance to try it out. Mm-hmm. I've had it for a while and it won a ton of awards. And I've heard of it being like one of the must play games on iOS. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing some puzzles this week. Let me give it a try. Nice. Yeah. So those are my two. Maybe I'll talk about some more soon. But um, I have those were not 32-bit ones. Actually, they were. I think one of them was converted to 64, maybe. But uh, I could be mistaken. Cool. What about yourself? Did you play something? I know you were playing Horizon. Yes. But you're still finishing no. that up. I actually finished that up. Okay, but yeah. not ready to talk about it yet. Um, I probably won't talk about it in any major way. Okay. Just because there's so much to talk about with that game and i could probably ramble on for hours but it's a pretty big game and that's what i meant to ask you how long is that game i've heard some people say that it's a 30 hour game but my final play time was 91 hours mm. so it's a pretty big game <laughs> not bad uh, which is still nothing compared to how many hours you put into borderlands that was probably by choice or i did a lot of the trials in that game so i was repeating a lot of content i think yeah Uh, this one it's funny that i think of it as an action adventure game but some sites or some reviews peg it as an action rpg which didn't really strike me as such as i was playing it but i guess because there's a level up system and there's experience points and there's quests Mm-hmm. Uh, if you take all those elements together, you could sort of broadly think of it as an RPG, but it's an open world thing. I mean, I guess it compares to games like The Witcher, where, or, you know, like uh, any of the Elder Scrolls games where you could just go anywhere you want and do whatever you want. And there's really no linear so not, progression. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, not linear. Okay. I mean, there is a main quest and there's a main storyline and there's a lot of uh, dialogue around those scenes, but then there's also times where you run into things along the way and they ask you to do things if you feel like it and you can and uh, get more rewards for doing that. Now, do you feel like it took you 90 hours because you were doing like a lot of side quests or you just, you feel like there was a lot of grinding involved or? I didn't think so. I mean, I usually when you people do grinding type activities, it's because they need to be like whatever level 30 to do something but i'm only level 26 so let me boost myself up by doing something that can reward me with more levels or whatever and i i didn't find that that was the case even though i was getting skill points for finishing quests and um you know just in the normal course of gaining levels you would get you know points that you could then apply to skills in the end you have enough points to unlock all the skills so it's not like you have to really make a choice of uh, what type of build you want to make. It's not that type of uh, activity. There were a lot of things that I got caught up with in terms of 
getting all the different trophies that were available, getting all the certain side missions. Like um, there are uh, hunting grounds, what they call in the game, where you go to a trainer and he gives you like certain tasks to perform mm. in order to test your abilities. And if you succeed, you get certain rewards that you can then turn in to get better weapons or um, something like that. And uh, I was doing a lot of that stuff. I actually went back and wrapped up all those things before I proceeded on to the main ending of the game. Hmm. I was spending a, a lot of side time doing that stuff. There's a lot of crafting in the game, too. I was just about to ask you that. <laughs> there was crafting. Okay. Yeah. It's not like a thing that you really have to spend a lot of time on. It's more like just to give yourself ammunition and health potions and things like that. But you do have to gather the components to be able to build those things. So that's not optional then. You have to do that, right, to make progress? You just do it on along the way mm-hmm. to doing other things. As you're walking along, you'll see things highlighted and you can pull over to the side and collect them. And See, I was never a big fan <clears throat> of crafting in games. Mm-hmm. So how to, like, do they make it kind of straightforward for you on how this works? Or is it a lot of guesswork where it's like, well, I wonder what happens if I combine these two and do this. You're given the recipe for things. Okay. All right. That's it, not so bad. You know, it tells you like you need these components to make fire okay. arrows or you need this kind of stuff to make uh, these special potions that mm-hmm. will extend your health bar or make you resistant to cold effects or things like that. I think I could tolerate that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, especially a lot of these things are also to increase your capacity in the game. So things to let you carry more ammo for a specific type of weapon or, you know, oh, I want to be able to carry more health. So, you know, you have to combine like a certain rare drop from a fox, you know, like you have to hunt foxes for a while to get like, you know, the uncommon or rare item that you need in order to carry more of a particular type of potion or something like that. Mm. I don't think there's any specific achievements or trophies tied to that stuff, but I just would go to my inventory and I would see like, oh, okay, here's like another thing I can unlock. Let me just work on doing that for a while. And the game even lets you create a quest to finish those things and puts it in your quest bar if you want to, if you need a reminder of wanting to go back and get those things. But there's a lot of cool stuff. I mean, I could spend time in that game just hunting, you know? Like, all right, I want to see if I can take down one of the big creatures in the game. Mm -hmm. There's some pretty big monsters. Yeah, so about those monsters. So take out those monsters, right? Mm -hmm. Put in orcs or something. (laughs) Right. And take out the girl's ability to use a bow and arrow. Mm -hmm. Do you still think you'd have fun with this game? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a pretty good sort of structure to it. They figured out so much stuff right with this game Mm -hmm. that I feel like they can use this as a template to build other games. It's a good game. There's an expansion coming out for it. Oh, really? DLC is coming out, I think, in a month. So if 90 hours was not enough time for a game, we're going to give you probably another 30, probably Uh, at least. Yeah, I think so. There's something called The Frozen Wilds or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did hear about that one. Yeah, that's coming soon. New land's going to be uncovered. Upon finishing the game now, there's a new mode unlocked. New Game Plus mode is unlocked, and I can replay the game with my current level, with all my weapons, all my skills, just from the start, but with all these abilities rather than going going through it and and unlocking them over time. Um, There's also an ultra hard mode that's been unlocked. Hmm. So now everything is more difficult. Resources are more scarce. Fights are more difficult to beat. So uh, if you really like the game and you just want to increase the challenge level, 
there's a way to do it that. It sounds like you really get your money's worth. I think so. I mean, it was a triple-A $60 game, but I picked it up on a sale, so... Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think I got it for $24. Now, what do you think about... How would you compare this to Tomb Raider? I sort of initially compared it to that, but the comparison only goes as far as the way the character plays and the way the combat works. But in terms of the overall story and the presentation of the game, this is much more open form. Tomb Raider was more like you go from one area to the next and it's you wait for the next map to load. Mm -hmm. This is continuous. This is like a giant continent. And there's really no load screens except if you do fast travel. Because okay. like at a certain point in the game, you unlock the ability to fast travel. So you don't actually have to walk on foot or... Thank goodness. Um, you can also uh, take over different creatures. Uh, oh, can you ride them? You can use them as mounts and ride oh, them. Cool. But you have to earn that ability. You don't just get that automatically. Mm -hmm. So there's different locations. Again, you have to visit, complete them as dungeons, and then you get the ability to override the creatures that are made there. Yeah, eventually you could do fast travel where you can travel to any campfire that you discover. So Tomb Raider is pretty much action-adventure, story-based. Here, the storytelling is much looser. Mm -hmm. You really only get story tidbits when you're actively involved in a quest, which there are plenty of, and there's a ton of that to do. Does the end game resolve the storyline, or do they leave it open for it's like, well, I've got to wait for the next game to really figure out what's going on? Mm, yeah, this game definitely has a potential to be uh, more chapters added to the story. Mm -hmm. okay. they, they do address a lot of stuff. But they don't leave you hanging. They just give you a little extra, like, hint of what else could yeah, be waiting. Yeah, so this might be a big franchise game that goes on for years. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised because the studio that made this did Killzone previously. And that had four games, I think, at least. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I ever played any of those. So. Uh-huh. That series goes back to PS2, so... Wow, really? Yeah. Killzone. So there were games released on PS2, PS3, PS4... PSP. I think there was a video game also, maybe. Incredible. So, quite a lot. They're, uh, I guess we're ready to move on to something new. Yeah. yeah, I guess so, after four of them. But they took a big chance with this game, because it was unproven, mm -hmm. and they didn't know how it was going to do. Yeah, and you play as the female, right? Was that changed? Uh, that's not selectable. That's okay. It's okay. very much her story, and there's a reason mm -hmm. so. for her character to be who she is in the mm -hmm. game. Not bad. Not, not too many female Heroes, I guess. I suppose, yeah. There was some question of whether... Does our research show that people are uh, interested in games like this where you have a very strong female lead? Hmm. And I would have thought by now, after 20 years of Tomb Raider, there would have been really no question about it because yeah. those games have been massively well, successful. Well, I think... But the, the difference here is that this character is not like the typical like Playboy sexy model. Mm -hmm. You know, she's got like dreads, red hair kind of dressed, you know, sort of frumpy a little bit, you know, at least mm -hmm. in the early pictures I saw. I don't know if she's not like uh, in a bikini or something, no, right? No, that yeah, doesn't happen. So she's more of like an Amazon jungle fighter or something. Mm -hmm. So I don't think she's presented as like a sex object like a Lara Croft was right. back in the day. Yeah. Tomb Raider has gone in that direction too, because with the reboot, the last two games, mm -hmm. they've sort of de-emphasized that aspect of the Lara Croft character. They've sort of reinvented her and in a way, and even the new movie is based on the sort of reimagined Lara and not the traditional version of her. Yeah. So 
progress, I guess, in a way. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> but, I mean, it comes down to, like you said, what the players are interested in playing with. And I think we have a more mature audience now than we did 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. it's good to see a big company like Sony taking chances with new characters like this. Yeah. And especially when the game's good because there's plenty that are not good. <laughs> I think it paid off. It's... It looks beautiful. I, what I've seen from it, the graphics are great. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you like this type of game, even if you don't think you do. My whole problem is just the hours. Like, I don't know where you find time for 90 hours to <laughs> play a game. It's just It kind of snuck up on me. Yeah. I would just play randomly at night. Because, like, when I play a game, I play and I want to finish it. Mm-hmm. And I can't say, well, I'll play, like, three hours tonight and next week I'll play another hour. Right. Like, it's impossible. Like, it would take me a year to play it, you know? I can understand that. People have said it's 30 hours, I guess, if you stick to just the main yeah, plot. Right. You don't have to do a lot of the side stuff. I do it just because I like the game and I want to maximize my enjoyment of it by doing everything there is to do. Sure. You know, I, I just feel like when I find a game that hits all the right notes the way mm-hmm. this one does, I want to keep playing it. Yeah, no, <laughs> I kind of don't want to. I mean, I'm not saying I don't want to do that. It's just I have to mentally prepare myself mm-hmm. for it. Like when right. I played Diablo 3, you know, that game was over 40 hours or something. And I put that off for a while. But then finally, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And, mm-hmm. you know, you set time aside for it and, you know, you kind of get it done in a week or two. I think it took me like two weeks to do that. Uh huh. Definitely different ways to play. You don't have to do it the way I do it. Uh-huh. I guess uh, there's as much game there as you wish to indulge in. Mm-hmm. Probably towards the end, I thought to myself, all right, maybe I should just wrap this up just to see how it ends. Yeah. Somehow, you still found time to play something else. Is this true? I did. I did. But I played uh, much simpler type of games. Now, before I've played some Atari 2600 games that... I never really had much exposure to. I played some Activision games that I never really had any time with. I also played some Magic games that I thought, hey, you know, I've heard of these games before, or I've heard of well-known games like Demon Attack, but I didn't really know these other games. So this time I decided to look at another company's offerings. What would be next in the catalog of Atari third-party games? Who else do you think well, of thought, next? Yeah, I mean, I thought uh, Activision Magic, um, Mythicon, of course, right? Because uh-huh. that's always one of the top okay. companies you should think about. I, I, I think when you originally asked me this question, I think I mentioned Starpath, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even that, I mean, they weren't a big third-party company, but for some reason, they always stuck in my mind as like an innovative, mm-hmm. cause I guess because of the whole cassette thing. 20th Century Fox, that's what I was trying to mm-hmm. think of. I'm thinking of like Aliens and all those Porkies and all those games. Yeah, that was high on my list too. Because yeah, they had a lot of big budget games. Right. So I have played some of those and I thought, let me go with one that I just have really nothing, no exposure to or no history with. Mm. So I picked games by Apollo. Also known as Simply Apollo. But wait, they, wait, Simply Apollo or just Apollo? Just the name oh, Apollo. Apollo. Yeah, okay. I mean, they've gone by both names. They started oh, off... Gonna, it sounded more like a, um, like a massage parlor, like Simply <laughs> Apollo. <laughs> right. I don't know why they would pick that name. Yeah. But I, you know, wanted to just see what they were all about. Um, they released games between 1981 and 1982. That's it? Just one year? Wow. Two years, pretty much. Because they had a bunch of games, right? They had, I believe, they released at the end... Somewhere around 12 or 11 games. Yeah, they had a few that were unreleased prototypes that are also floating around. But I think that's their core offering. Okay. 
So they were a company that was based in Richardson, Texas. They, I guess, were among the first to think, wow, you know, this video game thing, it's pretty hot. We should get in on that. Yeah, like many <laughs> others of the time. Uh-huh. They saw like, hey, Activision is doing pretty well. We could probably do that too. Uh-huh. So let's try that out. I guess one of their first well-known games is Space Chase. That was released in 1981. Mm-hmm. This was a game that was programmed by someone named Ed Salvo. Good name for someone who makes a game that is a shooter. <laughs> this is a very simple vertical shooter, kind of in the general format of like Space Invaders or something like that. You control, according to the manual, a Mark 16 Star Cruiser sent to patrol the moon. Is that a real ship? Is that I don't think official so. Official NASA design. We don't have any of those yet. So I'm going to assume this is somewhere in the far okay. future. Now, alien raiders are attacking, as the manual describes it, obviously molecularly energized from a distant galaxy. I don't know how you could tell that by looking at them, but there it is. Uh, now, it's not exactly like Space Invaders. Your ship has the usual horizontal movement at the bottom of the screen, but you do have some vertical movement ability uh, limited to just the lower third. Almost like uh, Gorf, maybe, like the old Gorf arcade yeah, game. Yeah, I think that's pretty uh, similar. And instead of just this giant grid of enemies, or this full array, there can be up to three rows of enemies going you know, horizontally across the screen, and uh, two enemies each on the screen, on each row. Depends on the difficulty that you start at, or you eventually get to. And they move independently from side to side. They move at about the same speed that invaders run at when there's only one or two left. So you know how in Space Invaders, when you're down to just the last few, and they speed up as they just, you know, zip across the screen? Uh-huh. They're kind of like that, but, you know, throughout the whole time of uh, playing the game. Yeah, but in Space Invaders, the whole thing with speeding up is that you have to avoid it touching your planet. Right. that ends the game. True. So there was, like, kind of that whole... There was that urgency of, yeah, of avoiding that. But in this game, that's not the case, right? Right. They don't descend towards your ship they just stay in their row going back and forth yeah now they have two different types of attacks though so they have neutron missiles which are just the regular unguided shots that they just fire and every so often they'll also fire what are called laser directed heat seeking proton missiles and these angle towards your ship Uh, it's possible to shoot down their missiles But if you look at it another way, it's possible for them to block your shots with their missiles. Mm. So, in other words, if your shots intersect, they cancel each other out. But either way, you do get points for shooting down an enemy missile when that happens. So it's not totally You get points for shooting the missiles, too. You do get points for hitting their missiles, yeah. So every life that you have is regarded as a member of your squadron. So within the story of the game... You get a reinforcement star cruiser from Earth to join your squadron every 10,000 points that you earn. So when a ship blows up, you don't have an extra life. You have just another ship in your squadron joining the fight. Yeah, yeah, that's how they sort of regard it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now also, at 10,000 points, the game moves up to level 2 difficulty. And at 40,000 points, it moves up to level 3 difficulty. So... With each level, the number of alien raiders increases, and they're smaller. They have different shapes. They do have different shapes. Okay, It's not just a color change. Right. Okay. Right. They uh, fire faster, 
but at least point values are also higher as the game difficulty increases. Now, I think the graphical feature that sets this game apart is the effect of flying in orbit over the moon below with very kind of visible surface features scrolling by. So you know how in Space Invaders you've got that back uh, graphic that kind of is reflected onto the screen. In the arcade, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You have that sort of uh, moon shape sitting mm-hmm. behind the yeah, It's almost like a static image that's just right. sort of background so give it a little depth. Kind of picture that, but in, in this game, it's kind of moving as well. So it's as if you're flying over the moon. If, if I remember right, because I, I did play this game a lot, isn't it sort of like the effect of the game Night Driver, mm-hmm. right? That kind of like moving effect? Yeah, it kind of just scrolls a graphical effect and yeah. it kind of presents the feeling of motion. Mm-hmm. But it's a neat trick. I think it kind of makes the game look a little uh, yeah. cooler than, you know, would without that. I also like the way the enemy ships emerge onto the screen. They kind of gradually grow to their full shape. They don't yeah. just appear out of nowhere. Um, it reminds me of like Demon Attack or Phoenix, right? Kind of the way they kind of just form together yeah. before they're ready for attack. Also, the ship explosions are nicely animated. You have a few different frames. Um, they change shape and color a few times. The screen flashes multiple colors in a long explosion sound when it's finally game over. When you lose all your ships. The enemy ships have... Like I said, different shapes and sizes. Some look like a police badge. Some are just kind of this egg shape. Or some look like an X, vaguely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are 24 different game variations. You can select between one or two players, which of the three difficulty levels to start at, whether there are limited or maximum heat-seeking missiles, which uh, you know in general will increase the difficulty, and uh, whether it's day or night, which I think is really just a color palette change. Okay. And also the difficulty switch can be toggled for your ship to shoot faster if you uh, want an increased challenge. The game starts off easily enough, but I think it gets noticeably more difficult in the higher levels. So once you get past that starting level one, you know, I think it gets significantly harder. Mechanically, it's perfectly fine as a shooter, but I doesn't really change things up enough to stay interesting. It just gets progressively more difficult, and that's kind of the extent of the game. Mm-hmm. If you look at the box art, the cover features an astronaut at the controls of a cockpit looking out over the moon as a pair of raiders attack, and you kind of see the Earth in the background. And the title Space Chase is carved into the moon's surface as if it's like, I don't know, I guess ad space or something. <laughs> Also featured prominently on the cover is the circular Apollo logo, which depicts the god Apollo on his chariot, surrounded by a burning sun, with the word Apollo at the top of the So they really went all out on this Apollo name. They were really committed to the Apollo name. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. But as their first game, I think this was, you know, a fine effort. Not bad. Mm -hmm. Good way to kind of introduce the lineup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was one of the games I owned for Atari. I have some memories of it. Mm-hmm. Let's see if you remember this. I think it was like Memorial Day, maybe, or 4th of July, that they would play a marathon of like Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Like, like PIX or WR9, or used, used to play it. Uh-huh. So I think we went to like Crazy Eddie or one of those local computer stores or something. And I bought that game for some reason. I don't know what made me buy that game over anything else. Probably because they probably had nothing else. Either I didn't have enough money for anything else and that was the cheapest game or 
they didn't have anything else. And I'm like, well, I'm not leaving until I come home with a game. So this is what I bought. <laughs> it's a good policy. Because <laughs> that's how things worked back then. Because you don't drive, so you only get a few chances at, at, a, at a game store. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the one I ended up with. And um, I just remember watching the marathon that day and then also finding time because, you know, we only had one TV in the house and that was the TV Atari was hooked up to. So I didn't have a, a lot of time to play. But I just have those two memories connected. And also... The ships, you were mentioning the ships change sizes. I remember when I was showing my parents the game and there was the one enemy that was maybe the X-shape one and they, they kept calling it the cockroach one. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine that. It might be somewhat insect It's been a while since I played that game, but I the black ship. Probably. Yeah, so that's why they probably called it that. I could see it as like a space like, why are you something? shooting cockroaches? And I'm like, I don't know. I think they're spaceships. <laughs> <laughs> You have to use your imagination. Yeah, well, that's part of the fun of those games. <laughs> right. But I remember kind of having fun with that. I don't think I was disappointed with it. Mm-hmm. So I guess job well done, Apollo. <laughs> okay. All right. But let's hear some of the others. You played some more. I did play another one. Uh, I played Skeet Shoot, also from 1981, and also programmed by Ed Salvo. Uh, now, according to an interview that I found on Digital Press, the game was originally designed as an indie project that he did in his spare time. And he used that game to pitch the idea to Apollo to publish it. I guess he was then contracted to work on Space Chase. So he originally did Skeet Shoot first on his own time. So the game technically predates Space Chase. At least as a demo, or at least as a working prototype. Interesting. Yeah, he had worked on this first. He did Space Chase as an independent contractor and then eventually, I think, went on to work full-time at the company. Nice. So are you familiar with the concept of skeet shooting and the the clay pigeon and what that's all about? Uh Yeah, well, we used to play skee ball, right? I don't think that's the (laughs) same thing. totally different. No shotguns involved (laughs) in that. (laughs) No, but I mean, it makes sense what you said because I feel like the graphics were just more simpler and more um, basic. I was familiar with that for some reason, maybe from cartoons or something. Right. Well, as I understand it, the way it works is that there are, in, in real skeet shooting, because mm-hmm. this is based on a real world activity, Yeah. Uh, there are these spring-loaded launchers, I think usually right. two, that are sort of angled in different directions, and they can fire a target disc into the air, mm-hmm. which is known as the clay pigeon. That's right. the target you're trying to hit. The participant uses a firearm, usually a shotgun. Oh, is it a shotgun? Really? Uh-huh. Okay, I didn't realize. That. Yeah, from a series of positions relative to the launcher. So there's like kind of a semicircle, and you stand in specific spots, and then when it's time to fire, your goal is to hit the And what do they the say target. when they fire? Uh, I think they say pull. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And that initiates whoever's operating the, the levers to release mm-hmm. the targets. I'm not really sure of the specifics, but in general, it's meant to simulate duck hunting. Yeah. So that's why there's a shotgun involved. So this is an accurate representation of that sport, right? Um, it could be duck hunting. It could be some other similar, you know, wild fowl. Maybe it's like a geese or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, pretty much it's meant to be like you're lurking around in, you know, in the swamp land hunting for ducks. And, you know, they might launch into the air at any time. So you have to be prepared to take them down, right? So in this game, there's just a central launcher. It's been simplified into just a single launcher in the center of the screen. It can fire left, right, or center. And similarly, the player's position can be in any one of those three positions somewhere below the launcher. 
There's 17 game variations, believe it or not, uh, which determine one or two players, the target's direction, the shooter's position, either of which can be left, right, or center, or variable. Depending on which combination of game variations you pick, the launcher might fire only to the left, Mm -hmm. or it might fire only up to center, or it might be randomized. And the same with the position of the shooter. Okay. You might be left, center, or right. Uh, the difficulty switch can also set the speed of the clay pigeon between fast or slow. Mm. So the game is really just a reflex test. Honestly, I have no idea how to shoot a target. If I spawn in the center and it goes left or right, <laughs> the angle of fire just doesn't seem to line up. This game does not use the paddles? Uh, it is a joystick game. It is a joystick. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. I know I played this a bit, but it's been probably you know 30 years since I touched this one. But it, so it's not press the fire button to release and then point in the direction to shoot and then press the button or, or just tap the joystick in the direction and shoot as soon as you tap in that direction. It's a combination. I think like that, to, right? You have to hold the joystick and press the fire button. Okay. Yeah. I found it kind of challenging in most scenarios. The only time I think the game makes sense is if you play game number two. Mm. And in that, it's a two-player game where the player controls the shooter and holds the joystick position where he wants the you know the shooter to appear and the other player determines the direction of the clay pigeon. Hmm. You really only have like a split second to hit it because then it goes off the screen and you miss that shot. So, I think it's best played as a two-player game. Interesting. If you're going to play it at all, <laughs> it seems like a very super simplified version of like let's say air sea battle. Right, yeah, I could see that. But the graphics in this game are just so rudimentary. I mean, you mentioned that it looks a lot simpler mm-hmm. than, you it know, It looked like a, Space first, Chase. a first, like, launch series Atari 2600 game. Honestly, I thought this was, like, a Channel F game when really? I saw it. Really? I don't remember it being that bad. Maybe, like, Shooting Gallery? I remember putting it on, not knowing what it was, because it was very abstract looking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then... Playing it and thinking, oh, this isn't so bad. That's what I, I mean. We're going back, thirty, you know, thirty-five years, forty years, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's all I remember. I don't remember being that bad, but you know, I could be really wrong. <laughs> I'm gonna have to put this one on, I think. Okay. And see. Well, I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised since it was done in about a month as a nightly side project. I'm guessing maybe he didn't work on it that much more than what it was originally designed as. So there's no. Wind variable in the game? Not that I've seen, no. I don't think so. You really don't have enough time to even notice. Wow, I can't remember. Okay. The only other thing I can say about the game, the cover art is like this watercolor painting, Mm -hmm. sort of, very kind of basic. It has a pair of hunters in a marsh or a swamp with ducks in the air. So really, the cover art doesn't even depict skeet shooting. It's more about the activity that skeet shooting itself is emulating. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was kind of interesting that they would even make a game about this activity. Yeah. I guess I can talk about the next game. Which one's next? A game called Infiltrate. Not this... Infiltrator. Infiltrate. Okay. That's right. Infiltrate. Uh, it was released in 1981 as well. I don't have a credit for this game, so I don't know who the programmer was. But in this game, the player is a secret agent attempting to infiltrate an enemy base. And your goal is to collect these critical documents that are needed for some unspecified reason. 
Now, there are assassins patrolling the corridors of this base who are programmed to shoot on sight. So I guess they're robots of some kind. Mm -hmm. Luckily, you're armed with a laser gun and also the ability to crouch. So you have a laser gun. So this is in the future, perhaps? Definitely seems to be. When you get to the artwork, I'm sure you'll tell me. (laughs) Sure. If it's more like a James Bond thing or if it's more like futuristic. Uh Uh-huh. Well... Uh, this game looks like a very super simplified version of maybe elevator action. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, right? Except that there's no doors to run into. And maybe you can even draw comparisons to Load Runner mm. with uh, just these elevator lifts in place of the ladders. So the documents that you're looking for are represented by a simple vertical line at the top of the screen or at the bottom of the screen. Uh-huh. The assassins look... A little bit like the guys you described in the last game you talked about, Tasmania. Kind of like the little sneaker guys from Fast Eddie or the Fry Guys. Yeah, two feet in like an umbrella shape. That seems to be a common theme. Yeah, I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) I guess if you have so few pixels to represent enemies in the game, this is what you uh, end up using. Your agent looks more like a cowboy, maybe, wearing a very wide brim hat. There's six floors with lifts in different positions, and some only go up one floor, some go two or three, depends. But uh, the goal is to get to the top floor without having any of the enemies run into you or shoot at you, because they can also shoot. No, the enemies don't climb ladders or anything, right? They can. Oh, they can, okay. Mm-hmm. So you pretty much want to sneak through the maze without running into one of them and get to the top, retrieve the document, and then drop it off at the bottom where a very similar looking line is at the bottom. And then you just repeat the process. The layout is static between levels. It doesn't change. So sounds pretty simple, right? Yeah. But I found a few things frustrating about this game. The controls, for one thing, take a little getting used to because when you walk up to an elevator, if you don't push towards the elevator, you'll get on it automatically. But if you do push onto the elevator, then you, what you end up doing is walking through the elevator to the other side of it. So I found myself getting on and off elevators constantly until I can get used to this mechanic. When you reach a point in the level where there's an elevator shaft, you're kind of stuck there until the elevator passes. And if you push through, you end up walking through it. You have to stand still and then you'll get on it to go up mm-hmm. the elevator or, or down or whatever mm-hmm. direction it's moving in. So that could have easily been solved by having extra buttons on the controller. You would think. (laughs) The other thing that I found kind of frustrating is that you have the ability to shoot the assassins, right? But they respawn in random locations. And that random location could be right behind you. So in an attempt to get rid of a dangerous enemy that's right next to you, you might shoot him and then he reappears right next to you. I shot an enemy on an elevator as it was going down. And then he respawned in the same spot and came right back up the same elevator and then ran right into me. Well, that's not good. Yeah. It's a lot of random luck, it seems. Hmm. Also, while you're riding an elevator, you can't shoot. (laughs) So while riding up, if an enemy is waiting there on the floor that you're about to pass, you got to be ready to move or shoot or something. Um, And then sometimes... They go into like this kind of berserker rage where they charge right for you. So you might think, all right, there's an enemy coming down that ladder. But then as soon as he sees you, he'll just run right for you at like double speed. 
and takes you right out. So again, took some getting used to. Uh, now, if you survive long enough in the game, the difficulty increases the speed of the game to the point where it just gets too fast to keep playing. So it's one of those games where it gets harder by just increasing the speed of everything. And things just get faster to the point where you can't really play anymore. All these things combined made it a little bit rough, I think. There's 12 game variations. Again, you can select between one or two players. You know, two players not at the same time, though, right? No. Okay. You can take turns. Okay. Also, the assassin's speed and intelligence can be selected across three different levels. And also whether or not there are invisible assassins, as if you need the game to be even harder. The difficulty switch also can select between novice and expert. And what that does is it controls whether the enemy shots can go across the entire screen or not, or if they stop after only half the range. Mm. So you mentioned the cover. The cover art is like one of those montage like movie posters where there's like all different things happening all at the yeah. same time. You see the spy in different action poses. Sometimes he's diving into action or firing his pistol or just trying to look stealthy. Uh, you see like metal corridors and maybe an exterior shot of the fortress. He's wearing this beige tan outfit that reminds me of Luke Skywalker's outfit from Empire Strikes Back when he has to infiltrate Cloud City. It would make a nice poster. Yeah. I guess one of the positives of this game, at least. So it is going for more of a futuristic look? It seems to be, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This game was not something I really played much when I was little, but graphics look kind of rough on this one. It seems like their games are going downwards rather than upwards, because, like, Space Chase seemed okay. Like, nice use of color, <laughs> shapes, everything. Yeah. And then, you know, Skeet Shooting, maybe not so much. And then, like, I don't know if these came out in this order, but Infiltrate... You know, also not looking too good. Yeah, I guess. So what's your view of Apollo so far? Is he uh, doing his job? <laughs> He's got the world on his shoulders. I mean, you give him, cut him some slack here. That's Atlas. That's a different guy. Oh. <laughs> Didn't you say he had the planet over him, though? In the logo? Uh, no, that was the sun. Oh, it was the sun. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's yeah. even worse. <laughs> that sun's hot. Apollo was the sun god. And the sun in the sky was supposed to be Apollo riding his chariot. Across, you know, the earth. I mean, that See, was... if I was Greek, I would know this. <laughs> <laughs> they would teach you this at birth. Yeah. Right. I had to go to Greek school for this. <laughs> I went to Catholic school, so I only know about, you know, God and Jesus. And right. Stuff. That's totally different. Yeah. Hopefully they have some better offerings down the line. Maybe when I get to some of their other games, yeah. I'll be more impressed. I think they do Lost Luggage, right? Is that them? It is one of their games. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> okay. Well, I did look these games up on eBay. Really? Okay. Just for fun. And did eBay say, why are you looking for these games? (laughs) (laughs) They say, we don't think you would like these. Yeah. Well, for Space Chase, I didn't see that many sold. But I saw a loose cart went for around $3. And for a complete set with box and manual, that was sold for $9. Mm, Not bad. Affordable. Mm Mm-hmm. Skeet Shoot, similarly... It was also uh, not that many to pick from, but $9 complete. Infiltrate, a little less common. Uh, $1 to $6 loose, but up to $21 for a complete copy. Okay. None of these are particularly rare, but I guess uh, of the three, Infiltrate is a little hard to get. Mm-hmm. For more on these games, the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, hosted by Ferg, covered Skeet Shoot and Space Chase 
all the way back in episode 13. Nice. So if you want more in-depth analysis mm-hmm. of those particular games, you can check out that episode. Yeah. I don't think he's done Infiltrate up to this point. So uh, maybe that's something for a future show. When you play these old games, right? Like say the Atari games. Mm-hmm. And I'll address this to anyone who's listening too. When you play them, did you use an Atari controller mm. or did you use another? I used uh, my USB like arcade stick. So you played stick. through an emulation? Uh, yeah, I did in this okay, case. Okay. Yeah, because I didn't have these cards. All right. So I fired up and uh I'm wondering how like the emulation. there are purists out there that say, no, I can't play these old Atari games unless I have a joystick. I'm going to say I feel that way about games I've played. In other words, uh-huh. games I've gotten used to playing that way. Like if I'm going to play whatever, Yars Revenge or something, mm-hmm. I do strongly associate it with the original controller. I need to have that sort of same well, type of feedback, that, that muscle the, memory, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. The reason why I'm asking is because... Yes, with emulation, like we have so many more options today and it makes it much easier to use like a D-pad or something. Mm-hmm. But even going back to the Atari days, I had a lot of controllers. And especially like when Master System came out, it used that same DB9 port, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. And those controls worked on the Atari. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going back and replacing like my, my Atari joysticks with the Sega Master System controller, which isn't that great either. The D-pads things, but that ended up being like my more preference controller to use. And I had a couple other ones, too, that were not the traditional Atari-style, you know, stick. And I was just curious. To me, it didn't matter. Like, I just, whatever played the best for me, that's what I used. Yeah. But I know some people are just very strict on, it's not the same if you don't use mm-hmm. that controller. And for me, it's I'm kind of flexible in that sense. But <laughs> I, it's just, I was just wondering what other people think. I played some other Atari games where I tried using the Xbox 360 controller or Xbox One controller that I typically use for a lot of other games. I didn't feel like I had the right level of precision Mm -hmm. to play some of those games that were really very Twitch timing focused. Uh And I had to use like an actual stick, the drone joystick that I have. I don't know why it's different for different types of games. I feel like I play other games with that controller and it's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. But just for those specific old games, I felt like I needed something more accurate. Okay. Yeah. Good answer. There's no wrong answer, really, but just just Yeah. Yeah. Wondering. I'm wondering, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I just wanted to get some Atari time in, uh, even though I was playing a ton of PS4. What a contrast, right? <laughs> I need that. I need to you, you uh, remind like myself. One of the best-looking games ever made to probably some of the worst-looking games ever made. Definitely more rudimentary. I need to remind myself of where I started every now and then. Yeah. Even if it's with games that I haven't played before. I think we're from an interesting generation who are able to do that. Because I think there's a lot of people who were born later than us who just can't do it. They just can't go back to these old 2600 games. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work for them. Right. But you and I and a lot of retro people can, you know, you can appreciate that relationship. And I, I enjoy some of those simpler, I mean, like I've always said too, a lot of these mobile games remind me of the old Atari simple mm-hmm. Simple movement, simple graphics, like very easy to pick up and play. Yeah. And that's kind of the fun in going back to some of these old Atari games. I think so. Yeah, I mean, again, these are games that, you know, I might have seen in Electronic Games Magazine or something, and then I never really spent the time to see what they were about or never bought one or, you know, just wanted to see what I missed out on, if anything. 
I think some of it's just fun to see, like you said, like that nice graphic on the box of Infiltrate, you know, like mm-hmm. it looks so cool, like a movie. And then you see like the picture of what the game looks like. You're like, wow, is that really what they're thinking this is? Like, mm-hmm. That somehow became this. That's the inspiration. To me, it's fascinating, especially uh-huh. as an artist. Like you have to come up with this concept of what this world looks like based on nothing, really, based on just a description and right. you know, that screenshot, maybe, if even you get that much. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Do you feel like uh, they're not being truthful in advertising? I know there's this concept uh, now of, you know, a lot of people, I've seen articles on the web where people rag on Atari games because it's like, oh, look at them. They're not representing what the game really is. I, I don't think so because just look at music mm-hmm. and where you have no visuals. So you're going based on just audio. Sure. And you have to create this concept, this imagery to go along with music and how do you really do that you know do you take it literally Mm -hmm. or do you come up with a a kind of create your own fantasy world in your head and you know even going back to classic you know pink floyd albums and stuff from the Mm -hmm. 70s and there's some classic artwork there that really almost has nothing to do with the music or anything but it's like great artwork Mm -hmm. sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't you know and you know even in like the 80s and 90s so many good album covers stuff you know i don't buy as much physical cds like i used to like i think queens of the stone age just released an album and it's, it's great cover it's awesome mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think of it as a art inspired by or right. you know it evokes a feeling and sure. you know it just sometimes i think you know what it is sometimes those games are just so bad that it's like a shame that it's wasted on this really good artwork mm-hmm. yeah I, I guess in some way that's misrepresented because you feel like this is such a piece of art when you look at it and then you play the game it's like well this is trash you know uh-huh yeah, uh, then maybe that's what they aspired to, but they don't quite reach it. Mm. It's the same could be said for uh, paperback book covers. I mean, obviously, right. Right. no visuals there either mm. other than what's on the cover. Yeah. So anyone who says that is foolish. <laughs> right. I think it's a lost art. It's too bad. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's about it for gameplay. Yeah. Now, should we talk about a pickup that we got? Let's do a quick one. We got a mutual pickup? Yeah, because this is the same one. And uh, it's called something that maybe you heard of it, Super Nintendo? <laughs> I don't know. The uh, SNES Classic Edition? Mm-hmm. Follow-up from last year's what? NES Classic Edition? SNES, as they say in some places. <laughs> some places might say that. But yeah, this is that classic mini console mm-hmm. from Nintendo that... Follow-up for last year's Nintendo Mini Classic. Mm-hmm. So so we both lucked out and got one? Yeah, I think we talked about it not too long ago, that we were pre-ordering it, and there was a big debacle with Walmart and all this stuff. Right. But you lured me to Best Buy selling it, and somehow I got in there like 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. I was like half asleep you know, with the lights out, and I went on my iPad and ordered it really quick. I think that's a similar experience that a lot of people had. Yeah, right? So after that whole Walmart thing... Uh, maybe three weeks after that, it went live just randomly one morning. I guess what happens is that they put it into their system as a new product. And uh, when's it available? Okay, it's on this date. And as soon as midnight hits at wherever their e-commerce site is located, in the case of Best Buy, they're in the central time zone. So that's 1 a.m. for us on the East Coast. So a lot of times, a lot of Best Buy stuff goes live at 1 a.m., at least for us, Mm -hmm. because that's when the clock turns over there. Similarly, I think Amazon might have gone live that day at 4 a.m. because they're Pacific time and uh, some other sites, too. Yeah. 
So I guess, yeah, some people were able to get in during those pre-order windows. I've read a lot of stories that they were pretty easy to get in store if you were there early enough. Mm -hmm. So it seems to be that Nintendo is shipping bigger quantities this time. I think they shipped a lot more this time around, yeah. Even though resellers made out pretty well, because I see my uh, Facebook marketplace is packed with Switches and SNES classics. Mm -hmm. So that must mean that prices are lower because there's so many more. You would think... But I, maybe, <laughs> well, they are a little bit lower than the NES was going for, and mm-hmm. that could be because they're more plentiful. But it's a more expensive console to begin with, so it was like $80? $80 versus the 60 that the previous one was. I'm seeing used ones, not used ones, but um, whatever you want to say, gray market, mm-hmm. uh, for 150 Wow. It's kind of the average I'm seeing. Okay. Uh, we were at Digital Press last week. Mm-hmm. And there was one guy who had like eight of them, right, for sale. This was during the Nava meet, so this was just you know a random seller, not the store. Yeah, people do swap meets, and a lot of times not really swaps, but they're selling. Right. They're you know they were like a, it's like a flea market vendor that yeah, sets up yeah. a mini stall. Yeah. So he had all like the hard to find stuff, and now you know where they end up in, in these people's hands. Mm-hmm. And one of those boxes he had was all SNES classics for double the retail for price. Double the price, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't open mine up, mm-hmm. so I cannot talk about if it's good or bad or what it's about, but I'm not sure I am going to open it yet. I know they just released a hack for it, like they did with the Nintendo version last year, to add your own games to it, like a, an authorized, non-approved Nintendo hack. That's right. I might do that. I'm still not 100% sure I'm going to bother opening up to do that or not, mm-hmm. because I have more fun playing with these games on my dedicated emulator. Than to have to like start hooking up more consoles to my TV. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. How about you? I didn't get to open it yet. Part of the appeal for me to opening it up is to check out Star Fox 2. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the reason why I wanted this machine too. But now that I heard, number one, Star Fox 2 is ridiculously easy and short. But also they dumped the ROM. And this is like the official Nintendo ROM. Yeah. That I could probably just try to find it you know, to download. And I might just do that and put it in an emulator. Mm-hmm. And see how that plays. One of those games that was like supposed to come out but never officially released. Right. So yeah. it's kind of cool that they finally did release it in some kind of finished state. Because even though the ROM's been floating around for a while, there's been some uh, uncertainty as to whether that was like the actual final version of the game. Which I think this new one is somewhat different. I don't know in what capacity. I don't follow Star Fox too closely to say. (laughs) And you're not on the Star Fox Fanatics website? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not one of those games that I've, you know, I enjoyed the first one. And I I like the N64 version, but Mm -hmm. nothing that I went too crazy about. Well, even though there was like some more uh, work around getting this one in terms of you can't just buy the Super Nintendo cartridge. Mm -hmm. You have to buy this particular console to get the official release of it. But it's just interesting that Nintendo is releasing effectively a new SNES game as of this year. That I guess you could kind of say, they, yeah, I guess that's kind of true. Right. I mean, they could just as well release this version on every virtual console that supports SNES. Listen, they, they have a new console that just came out this year. They could easily have just ported it to that as a mm-hmm. Super NES classic game or something. Sure. And probably made more money, I'm guessing, than they did on this thing. But mm-hmm. who knows what goes on in those <laughs> offices? I don't even think they know mm-hmm. what's going on. Well, hopefully 
anyone who does want this thing should be able to get it more easily. At least that's... I hope so. I that's mean, what the intention is. It kind of stinks. Like, someone like me can get it. Then I really don't care if I have it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I really couldn't care much. And I know there's people who are, like, dying for one because they're such huge Super Nintendo fans. And I hate to see that these people don't have one. They want it so badly. Mm-hmm. Just don't pay those scalpers. Right. Those resellers. Tough it out. You're justifying them doing this stuff. Try getting it from mm-hmm. a regular store if you can. Yeah. Whatever that takes. Yeah. Well, it just seemed to be uh, a thing that Nintendo attracts this particular type of fervor. Uh-huh. Like, I don't imagine people would go this nuts over, like, a PlayStation classic. I mean, I even. No, that PlayStation anniversary PS4 was pretty crazy to get. And right. wasn't that, like, $1,000, like, the, a couple of hours after the release? Well, eBay? naturally, but there were way fewer of those. I still don't forgive Sony for that. <laughs> they still hold a dark space in my life. Uh-huh. I'll never forgive them. Even though they released that controller, the anniversary controller, that did not make up for it. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm not even a fan of the PS1, <laughs> it was just the fact that I wanted it. Another $500 PS4. Yeah, it's even just, though, just what I need. Even though you already had a PS4 that you didn't really even consider a good be, purchase uh, right and uh, at the i time. complained a lot about it i still complain about it <laughs> they know what buttons to push <laughs> right <laughs> okay cool so should we wrap it up sure all right i guess if anyone has any feedback or thoughts on the stuff we talked about or even stuff we've talked about in the past please visit us on facebook.com slash our and bites and with that we'll see you next time see you next week Bye.